With that, let's get into our study. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to pick up with where we left off. I'll be reading verses 6 through 10, and then we'll um, wrap up the uh, sixth chapter and, and the entire book. Uh, next Sunday, we'll cover 11 through 18 to close out our study in Galatians. Starting with verse 6 of chapter 6, let him or her who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches the word. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, for in due season, and emphasize that, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray again. Father, we're just asking for your spirit to lead, guide, speak, direct, and may you be in our presence, Lord, with power, clarity, and all that each person needs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now this passage, you can see the title that I've given today's time, the word spirit-led and generous, because there's a little bit of a it might look like at first a bit of a hodgepodge of concepts or uh, truths that Paul lays out, but they actually have a connected thread. And the real connected thread is, goes back to chapter 5, that those of us who are saved are called to live spirit-led lives. There's really only two kind of lives that the, that the whole world lives. Everyone lives one of two lives, flesh-led or spirit-led. There's not another option. Say, well, I'm a little bit flesh-led, I'm a little bit spirit-led. No, you're one or the other. Now, that doesn't mean that even spirit-led people, uh, we still have a sin nature, so we still fail. We still have those moments where uh, we scrape our knees, metaphorically, uh, maybe face plant every now and then, uh, metaphorically, things like that. But the general uh, you know, focus of our life is we're either led of the spirit or we're led by ourselves. And if we're led by ourselves, we're, of course, led by the flesh. Now, Jesus, when he came to the earth, he, he's the greatest example of any passage which shows us the correct life that God has designed for anyone. Would, would we all agree that Jesus is the perfect example? All right, so Jesus, he owned the universe. He had it all. He owned every single thing, but he left it all to be born, as we know, in a stable, which is quite humbling. Uh, for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which uh, he didn't come wearing that, uh, that sash across him that, that, that we see uh, in the book of Revelation when he returns on the second time. He's naming his name boldly. For the first time he came, he came very humbly. But he lived his life on the earth uh, surrendering what he had, and I would call that incredibly generous, wouldn't you? Yes. Incredibly generous to lavish on the world not only his love but also his shed blood that we could be saved. But while he did that, which is a great uh, demonstration of generosity on his part, he also, even though God the Father, in ways that we don't understand, God the Father really is God the Father. Jesus really is the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit really is the Spirit, and yet the three of them are one, and that does not make sense to our human intellect, and yet they are completely separate. And sometimes the Son is talking to the Father, and sometimes the Father is talking to the Son, but in the position of Jesus walking the earth as the Son, he submitted to the will of the Father under the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the dove came down and rested upon Jesus? So on the one hand, he's equal to the Spirit. On the other hand, he yielded to the Spirit. Now, how all that works, you can ask for all eternity when you get to heaven. Because I still don't know how all of that works. Now, in a way, I can conceptually compartmentalize it and see it, but I still don't understand all of how it works. And anyone that tells you they do, they don't. Because it's beyond our comprehension. If God was something we could all understand easily, he would cease to be far above us. But he is. So, but Jesus, with the example for us uh, to being spirit-led and generous, the greatest example of this is Jesus. Now, we've seen others in the Scriptures. Paul himself is a great example of this. Paul was incredibly generous. Paul was, in, uh, I think we would all agree, spirit-led. The Spirit, Paul said, I want to go over here. The Spirit says, you're not going over here, you're going over here instead. I want to go to Spain. I think I'll get to Spain. He didn't go to Spain. I want to go to Asia. No, you're going over here to Macedonia. Or you're going over here to Greece. So the Spirit-led life is yielding to God's will for us and saying, Lord, your ways are right, even if my intellect says this might work better. Right? It's kind of like you telling a child, uh, say, this is actually healthy. This is not. But this one tastes good. This one is good. That's what God does with us. And so we want to look at these things this morning through the lens that Jesus himself was the example of this. And the first thing that uh, he starts off with in verse 6, let him who is taught the word, or, or men, women, children, whoever it may be, let anyone who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Um, so my first thing I want to look at this morning is your SAT word for the day, symbiotic. I've never had a chance to use this teaching, but today we can. Right? You might have heard the word before, uh, but uh, the word symbiotic, uh, well, symbiosis is the noun form. So symbiosis is the noun. It comes from the Greek. Uh, you ever heard the term symbiotic relationships? So you'll sometimes hear people say this. But the word symbiosis, the noun uh, is, is the, or symbiosis is the noun form, but the adjective, so symbiotic relationship, what it means, one of the meanings is a relationship of mutual dependence, a relationship of mutual dependence. And so God has created this uh, in the order, God is a God of order, that there are these mutually beneficial relationships, symbiotic relationships in life and also within the church. Now you have to understand that the Apostle Paul, um, he was an apostle, and remember, he wasn't one of the original 12. He did not walk with Jesus in Jesus' earthly ministry. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. The other 11, they walked with Jesus. Remember, they saw Jesus walk on water. They saw the fish and loaves. They saw Jesus go to the cross. Paul wasn't there for any of that, but he was added as the 12 after Judas has was taken out of the way. Paul was one of the 12, and he had this unique calling, um, although it's true that missionaries have an apostolic calling as far as going and planting the church, there really is only 12 true apostles. Jesus makes this clear that actually they'll sit on 12 thrones in the New Age. There's not 80,000 thrones, 
12 apostles, really, and, and it says the scriptures were actually built on the apostles, Jesus first, then the apostles. So Paul has this unique calling, and it's the underpinning of his letter to the Galatians. Remember, he starts off talking about, I am an apostle called by Jesus Christ, and he mentions his calling uh, in other places as well. Now, Paul was an author of scripture. He was a church planter. He was an evangelist. He was a mentor, and he was a pastor to pastors. This is what Paul was. He was a pastor to pastors, but also a pastor to many other people. He probably, we don't know how many churches ultimately respond by just him, but it's a lot. And um, because of uh, how God used Paul, uh, he understood by the Spirit the inter- interdependent relationships within the church. And it was by the Holy Spirit that God wanted Paul to communicate and understand these same principles of these mutually beneficial relationships. And by the sovereignty and will of God, um, if you look at other relationships, for example, husbands benefit from having wives. And wives benefit from having husbands. If the marriage is a good marriage, if it's not, that's a whole different story, right? But the design is it would be, wouldn't you agree that the design is to be mutual benefit? And when you find people that have a good marriage, it is mutually beneficial. Husbands, wives both benefit. Um, Parents benefit from having children, and children not only benefit, but they desperately need parents in their life. (coughs) Teachers benefit from having students. Do you realize teachers become better teachers because they have students? Teachers benefit from having students, and students benefit from having teachers. Mentors benefit from having mentees, and mentees benefit from having mentors. I still have mentors in life. And matter of fact, I seek them out. I, you've heard me tell, I encourage you folks, if you don't have mentors, to seek mentors out in life. People that are more mature in the faith. People that will disciple you. And then we have pastors. Well, they, this is what Paul's speaking of, verse 6. This is actually a word to pastors and the church. Pastors benefit from having church families, and church, benef- church families benefit from having faithful pastors. I said faithful pastors. Churches do not benefit if they have an unfaithful pastor. Matter of fact, they have been hurt and damaged greatly by unfaithful pastors. Jesus spoke specifically to the disciples. He said, do not beat the sheep. But if you do, you're going to get beaten <laughs> by God, right? And so we've seen, we've seen the damage that can happen where there's an unfaithful uh, party. And this happens in marriages too, where there's an unfaithful party in marriage, where there's an unfaithful uh, situation in the workplace. Uh, but these interdependent relationships are God's design. And they're one of the mechanisms that God uses to grow the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, God could have just zapped everybody and everybody's instantaneously spiritually mature, but that's not what he did. He could have done that with the disciples, but Jesus spent three years having them learn having them go through the process. And Jesus even allowed them to make mistakes. Mistakes, is, mistakes are going to happen uh, along the way in all of our lives, but that's part of the learning process. And if you go back to this uh, further in Scripture, take the life of Moses. Now Moses, anytime you see in the Bible where shepherds are mentioned, David was, remember David was a shepherd before he was ever king. He kept sheep. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. The reason why is God was always drawing the picture that a later shepherd would come who would be called what? 
the good shepherd, 23rd Psalm. So shepherds in the Bible were always a picture of pastoral leadership that God would raise up and call someone to actually lead and feed. That was just, that was just God's plan. It's always been in the Scripture, and that's why we see it in the life of David. We see it in the life of Moses. We see it in the life of Abraham. And in the New Testament, the shepherds are mentioned again, and the word is pastors. But remember in the call of Moses, Moses originally, originally did not want the job. He didn't want the job. Moses said, like, I'm living in Midian, and I'm happy here in Midian. The children of Israel, find someone else to take the job. If you're really called to be a pastor, you probably at first will not want the job. If you want the job, you're probably seeking it for the wrong reasons. And Moses didn't want the job originally, and he was comfortable with what he was doing, and he was comfortable, Moses was comfortable being self-sufficient. That's where his comfort, that's where his comfort was. And God said, no, no, this is the calling. And so the church relationship of pastor and church family is one, think about this, the church relationship for the pastor and the church is one of obedience, it's one of faith, and it's one of generosity on both sides, on both sides. Pastors have to be specifically called. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. You can mark that down. Pastors have to be called. You can't say, hey, I want to be a pastor. Any more than I, than I said before I was born, hey, I want to be born a dude. <laughs> God decided this is what you're going to be. America's a little confused on this today. But anyway, but God decided this is what it's going to be. But then you have to respond to your calling. If, you, if you're called to be a pastor, you have to respond to that calling. Moses had to respond to it. Paul, had to, Paul could have said, hey, I, this road to Damascus thing is fine and dandy, but I don't want to do it. But Jesus said, no, I'm calling you. You're going to go to kings. Well, I don't know if I want to do that. You're, you don't have a choice. You're called. So you have to respond with obedience, faith in following the call. And then, as far as pastors are concerned, pastors are called to be generous with their lives and with their time so that the church family is well-fed, is well-fed in the Word of God specifically, encouraged, and discipled. This is the calling, not just of me, but any pastor on planet Earth. doesn't matter if it's a pastor in China, a pastor in Brazil, pastor in Russia. doesn't matter. All of us have the exact same calling, that the church would be well-fed, loved, encouraged, and discipled. Now, the church family, this is Paul the Apostle writing to the church, not just the Galatians, but all the church for all time, the church family in turn has to live by the same obedience and the same faith and the same generosity in their own role. And they are called to be first fruit givers in what? In their time, in their talent, which is abilities, spiritual gifts. Some of you have spiritual gifts I don't have. And some of you have spiritual gifts that the people beside you don't have. But you're called to use them, not sit on them. But in your time... Time costs us something. Time says, man, I would rather finish watching this, but I must go do this instead. So time, talent, and then treasure, the resources God's given financially, all that goes into the work of the church that we would go forward in what Christ has commanded, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of everyone. This is what Paul is getting at. You know, Pastor Chuck, um, you, know, you know, Pastor Chuck, was the first pastor at Calvary Chapel. He's gone to be home with the Lord, gone home to be with the Lord. And he used to encourage pastors, and he still, this still rings in my ears all the time. 
all the time from Pastor Chuck, he said this. He said, make sure your flock is the most well-fed flock it can possibly be. That's a goal of mine. Whether I achieve it, well, I'll find out when I meet Jesus face to face. That it's the most well-fed. The most, he said the most well-fed that you can do. I can't do someone else's ability, but I can only do the best job feeding that I can do. You can only do what you are called to do. You can't do somebody else's job, but you can do the best with what you've been given. But a well-fed flock should reflect should be reflected in a well-maintained ministry. Does that make sense? A well-fed flock should be reflected in a well-maintained ministry. J. Vernon McGee, you know, he went, to, uh, he went home to be with the Lord in 1988. Great pastor in both Texas and California. He said this is one of the most blunt verses in the Bible as it relates to God's instructions to the church that said, this is the way it works. You have to have a pastoral calling, but you also have to have a church that supports that calling. And as a church grows, pastors are eventually called to be full-time. When they plant in other countries, when we help churches get off the ground, like they're in Guatemala, Guatemala and in El Salvador, eventually the desire is for, for, for them to be self-supporting, no matter what part of the world they're in. This isn't always easy in places where the people are dirt poor. Would you agree? I mean, so we have to, then those of us who have means in the United States, we help other churches get, on the, get up off their feet in other countries. And, uh, and also, if we ever plant one from here, we would want to do the same. We would want to help get that church that they, they have a full-time pastor. Um, Paul would say, and we know this is true because we told uh, Titus, uh, whenever you go, he goes, set up shepherds or bishops in every place. That actually was more important than the building to, to the Apostle Paul. That was, that was his uh, clear um, uh, direction to the church. But uh, this really struck me years ago. So it's, it's today's 2017. This struck me in my own study in April. I have it marked down here. April the 9th, the year 2000. I, wasn't, I had no design in being in the full-time ministry. I was quite happy in the business world, making better money and all that other stuff. I mean, I really was... And I was reading, but we had our pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina, was bivocational at the time. He was working for an IT company, but he's also a pastor in the church. And I was reading my own study, and I circled, and it's in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. And this is what Paul wrote there. It's very similar to what he writes here. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And I circled that, and, I, and it dawned on me. I said, we our little church there in Charlotte, I said, we got to do a better job of getting Dane full-time because this is what Paul ordained. This is what Paul said. But then I got to thinking, that's what the Levites did in the Old Testament. This is the way it was. And so I underlined that, uh, and just that became something. I didn't have anyone beat me over the head about it. It wasn't some teaching. Someone says, tithe or you will die, you know, something like that. <laughs> I didn't have anything like that. I had none of that. It was just the Holy Spirit said to me, Circle that, you may need this someday. Turns out I did, but anyway. Um, but I could see in his life, here was the problem, and it was, it was not good for the church. I could see the fatigue in his life. I could see all that because you can't do multiple. Multitasking only takes you so far. How many of you agree with that? Well, I've got this going on this leg, and I've got this going on over here. I'm going to cut the grass while I'm typing this paper, right? 
This is the way society has gotten today. And Paul said, if you want to see things grow, find out its proper order. And if you follow it, if dads will be dads, moms will be moms, if families will be families, if churches will follow God's order, God says, I'll make it grow. You won't need miracle grow. Well, it'll be a miracle, but it will grow. And then I understood, uh, this, is, this is 17 years ago. I had no idea they called it into ministry. But 17 years ago, I started at that point. Even though we had started giving to the Lord financially about three years earlier, the first three years we were saved, we didn't give anything to the Lord financially. didn't even dawn on me. didn't think about it. Then God started working. We started to become first fruit givers. And then God, us, God got us out of $80,000 worth of debt. $80,000 worth of debt we were in. God got us completely out of it. And I know it was because we just started trusting God for what he said. God means what he says. He says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And so God says, follow my ways, they will work. Two plus two still equals four, and everything in the Bible that God says actually works. But not the second you do it. And so, so for me, it was a 17, to them, the next 17 years, I started to understand why God took a reluctant guy like Moses, and then eventually the children of Israel not only supported Moses, but Aaron, Joshua, all the Levites, and they built the tabernacle, so much so that Moses had to tell them to stop giving. The only problem they ran into was when they started looking back to where? Egypt. Every time they did what God said, things worked well. Every time they looked back to Egypt and said, well, maybe we should do this, idolatry set in, and they were off the mark. But this is the thing Paul is saying. He's saying, in the church, this symbiotic relationship, when it's intact, and we see it in the Old Testament view of the church, because Israel is like the church picture in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the church that Christ gave birth to. In the Old Testament, every time Israel had the order right, Israel flourished. Every time Israel had the order wrong, what happened? Bondage, weakness, falling apart. You and I will see the same thing. When we look at the symbiotic relationships, and it's not just pastor and church, it's husband and wife, it is, uh, you know, employee, employer, all those things. When we do these things right, God will bless it. Let's look at the next verse, verse 7. And he kind of shifts gears quite a bit here. You might say, well, that, that was a good order verse. Well, the seven, uh, verse 7 and, and 8, actually 7 and 8, um, they are related. I'll, I'll point out how they are. But the next two verses here is what we'll look at next, what I've titled spiritual sowing. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever man sows, that he will also reap. Now, in the context of the verse, the first context, although it has uh, secondary meanings that we'll look at as well, the first context is that God is saying through Paul that those of us who are believers, we will sow to the things that God has said are important. That makes sense? That we'll sow into the things that God says, hey, if you sow into these things, they'll bear fruit. If you sow into the work of the kingdom of God, if you sow into reaching souls, if you sow into the things that Jesus prioritized his life around, then God will bless it. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all the other stuff will be added unto you. God knows you need cold medicine in the cabinet, unless you're going to be divinely healed every single time. God knows you need gas in the car. God knows those things. Jesus said, don't worry about all that stuff. Seek me first, and I'll take care of those things. But then there is another option. 
It goes on, don't, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Because you can say, well, I don't agree with God, I'm going to sow a different way. I'm going to go a different route. And just as we see in agriculture, sowing and reaping is a definitive outcome. Wouldn't you say that agriculturally, sowing and reaping is a very definitive outcome? If you sow pl and plant corn seeds, you're not going to get oranges. You can try it from now till the year 2050. You can sow corn seeds, you will never once get an orange tree. You can sow, uh, you can sow and plant pumpkin seeds, and you're not going to get watermelons popping up. You can sow apple seeds, and you're not getting okra. As an aside, speaking of okra, <laughs> if you cut okra up in little pieces, and you batter fry it in cornmeal, you'll get a little bit of heaven in your life. Just, I'm just, that's, a, that's just a tip. That's what you do. Okra was never meant to be eaten just off the stem or whatever. God invented Southerners later in, later in the thousand, 2,000 years who figured out, no one could figure out what okra was for until then, and said, here's what it is. You get cornmeal batter, little eggs, little milk, and you dip it, and you find this thing called a fryer, which the world had never seen before until Southerners came along, and then, and then you get a little bit of heaven. So there may be a deep fryer in heaven. We'll find out when we get there. But that's just a free tip. If you don't want to do the work, Cracker Barrel will do it for you. They, they do also help with okra. But back to this immutable truth that Paul is laying out. People don't have any doubt. People don't have any doubt about science or the expectation of seeds as it relates to science. We know that the seed you plant is the seed you get. Nobody doubts that. You go to, you go to Harvard, you go to Princeton, you go anywhere and say, hey, if I plant pumpkin seeds, what, what should I expect to get? Go to the biologist down at VCU, go to the University of Richmond, go to their biology department, and if you want to act like you're really smart, just ask them, what will I get if I plant these uh, green bean seeds? They look at you like, what in the world are you asking that for? Of course you're going to get that. Everyone understands that. You, what you sow is what will grow. But there are many people that would know the answer to that, and yet they're self-deceived in what they would sow in their own lives, according to what God has clearly said is just as axiomatic. What they invest their time in, what they invest their energy in, what they invest their resources in, they don't believe is going to negatively affect them or anyone else. And God says it absolutely will. It works the same as a pumpkin seed. That they think, hey, what I think about, what I listen to, what I look at, won't cause any issues at all. Wrong. It'll cause a lot of issues. That what I say and what I speak won't harm anybody, we're never going to have any problem. No. It'll start a fire. It can ruin families. I remember in, in our family, I had my, one of my grandmother's um, sister, wouldn't talk to her sister for years. It's in a family. I would ask, I thought that was weird. I, mean, I was a young kid. Hey, why doesn't so-and-so, oh, they don't talk to each other. The tongue can do these things. People will willfully and willingly ignore mountains of historical evidence, many broken lives, and the scriptural warnings of God. But yet they think another person was a complete idiot for expecting blueberries to come from squash seeds. And yet, spiritually speaking, it's just as often are thinking to think that if we do this, it won't have a negative effect, especially if it's something God has said, don't live that way. 
Don't think that way. Don't talk that way. Don't act that way. If you told someone that sin and self-centeredness will bring pain and destruction, and they just brush it off and say, hey, that's your opinion. That's you Bible thumpers or you Bible believers. That's, narrow, that's narrow-mindedness. I'm narrow-minded enough to think that green bean seeds grow green beans. How about you? Why? Because the same God that invented green bean seeds invented the scriptures. Same God. If he's right on the biology, I'm pretty sure he's going to be right on the spirituality. And he's going to be right on both. Amen? Oh, you take the Bible too serious. No, I want to live forever. That's how serious we take it. So why do we suppose Paul used the phrase, God is not mocked? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows that, he'll also reap. Well, here's what I think Paul is trying to convey by the Spirit. If God has said how everything works, and he does, and he has, plant life, thought life, our actions and decisions, what we say, and we say, well, I'm sorry I disagree, that's mocking God. That's resisting God. That's like walking up to a brick wall and slamming your head into it. It's just not smart. It's only a matter of time before we find out that God really is right. Amen? Eventually, everyone, the Bible says, every knee will bow. Everyone will find out God's right. Everyone will find out he's right. I, I told you I used to work with, I, I haven't said it in a while, but, it, but I worked with this guy when I was in Fort Lauderdale, uh, right out of college. I was working at a health club. And uh, I had a great relationship with all the guys. They were all unsaved. It was me, the born-again dude that had just gotten saved out of my party lifestyle, and like six other guys, and they were all in great shape and everything. And, and, uh, but the one was Native American Indian. He was some, I, I can't remember. He was Cherokee and something else, but he was Native American. He despised Christianity because he thought it was the white man's religion. He was determined. He told me, and I had a great relationship with him, but he just did not like it because he said, I'm Native American. My whole family's Native American. We still do the tribal thing and all this stuff. And he said, if he meets God someday, he's going to stand over top of him. And I said, You won't. I'm telling you, you will never stand over top of God. And, uh, but he loves you enough that he is still calling you right now. And. Uh, I hope he gets saved. Maybe he already is saved. I haven't, I haven't been down there in 20 years. I don't know where he's at. Uh, maybe he someday watches this message. I don't know. But I know this, that God is not mocked. But he loves people that do mock him, and still he's not willing to any perish. And he gives a, a ton of patient calling to people that are in the life of mocking God currently. And yet he hasn't called their number yet. Amen? Amen. There's a lot of people. I should have... My number should have been called. I was just as bad as, as this other dude. But God didn't call my number until, until I, like the Apostle Paul, had a day of coming to my senses. But anyway, eventually it's a matter of time that all the resisting and warning and wisdom uh, that is rejected will have a reckoning day with God because he's not mocked forever. Everyone is appointed unto man to die and, one, and after that the judgment. But sadly for many people, it would be too late then, right? It's too late at that point. And this is precisely why Paul is reiterating the warning, but not just to unsaved people, to the church, for the church Christians to also stop mocking God with half-hearted commitment to Jesus. He's also saying that to save people. 
Now, you've seen the news stories when yet another person has placed their arm inside a cage at a zoo. I don't understand how this keeps happening. Sometimes a foot, the camera goes in. You're going to have to say goodbye to the camera now, right? Camera's gone. It belongs to the bear, right? But yet somebody, a sign will clearly say, do not put arms, feet, fingers, tongue, anything else inside the cage, right? Someone does it. Appendage is grabbed by the ape or the lion or something else, and everyone is shocked. <laughs> it's not a good thing for the appendage, is it? And ignoring God's warnings are just as senseless. And say, yes, God, he really means what he says. And this is for our benefit and our protection. Ultimately, to ignore it is a death sentence. But what about sowing the things of the Spirit? He says here, uh, he who sows the Spirit will reap of the Spirit everlasting life. Investing personally in the Word, being taught the Word, investing in your prayer life, investing in praying with other believers, investing in worship, investing in fellowship, these things, well, they bear some fruit right now. Look back in, in, in Galatians chapter 5 at verse 22. Go back one chapter, about 10 verses back. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, God says, these are the things that will be born in your life now. But then after that, it goes on to say, so into the Spirit will reap everlasting life. There's only one way to everlasting life, and that's through Jesus Christ, through surrendering to Him, and then now walking in the Spirit. And we have the hope of a life in heaven where you'll never have the flu again. You'll never see someone die of cancer ever again. You'll never worry about a bill again. You'll never have a hangnail ever again. Little things, big things, depressing things, tough things. You'll never watch a bad news story in heaven ever again. It'll be complete bliss and glory. And uh, I'll get to talk to Moses and say, tell me, I was a low-level pastor. Tell me how you did it. You know, that kind of stuff. But we'll get to meet Jesus more than anything else, face to face. Let's take a look at the last two verses. Verse 9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Again, still speaking to the church as a whole, each of these things are important, Paul's saying. These are his closing words to Galatians. Closing words to the church. Stay on the mark is what he's basically saying. Living for Christ, in this verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good. Living for Christ isn't easy. Would anyone agree with me on this? Living for Jesus is not easy. It's not always smooth sailing. It isn't always praise and worship with your hands lifted high. No matter how much the Christian radio stations try and make it that way, it's not always that. And I'm, I'm not putting them down. I mean, but mostly it's everything's upbeat and they try trying to get your drive to work all happy and stuff like that. But there's but life doesn't always work that way. And neither does the Christian life. Um, in the Christian life, it's rarely immediate rewards. Rarely is it immediate rewards. If you're looking for immediate rewards in following Jesus, you need to reread your Bible. It's a long, Abraham taught us nothing else. You had to wait a long time for Isaac. It's the way it was. It's rarely immediate. 
and it's rarely some immediately realized benefit. Serving other people can take a toll on you. Our flesh will remind us all the time we've given up. Our flesh will tell us. Our flesh is really good at pushing our own buttons. It will have us look longingly at other people who are doing whatever they please while we're trying to submit to the Holy Spirit, and we look at them and say, man, they have it so good. ASAP wondered the same thing in Psalm 73, verse 3. He said, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Right? You ever look at the prosperity of people that don't follow Jesus, and you say, what gives? Why them? Lord, you know, lots of, lots of times in Scripture, someone looked up to God and said, I'm doing all of this. Paul says, don't become weary when you're doing the right thing. When you're submitting to the Spirit, wait patiently. Paul said, just hang in there. Here's all we need to know. Here's all we need to know, everyone in this room. Jesus said it's worth it. I could stop the message right there. Because you either believe that's true or you do not. You can walk out of this building and learn nothing today, but if you believe that Jesus said it's worth it and you mean it, it'll transform your life. Do you believe that? If Jesus said it's worth it and you actually say, I believe that single statement, I believe Jesus and I believe he's not lying. And he doesn't lie. You and I lie, he doesn't lie. It really is worth it. End of story, case closed. Jesus said it's worth it. Anything and everything else in our life will say otherwise, and if it does say otherwise, it's a lie, it's from our own flesh, or it's from the enemy. If, we say, if anything else says it's not worth it, it's not worth it, that's Satan whispering in Eve's ear. It's not worth it. You should go ahead and bite it. It's the same lie today. This is what Jesus said. So if you say, well, I'm not sure, I still, do you, are you sure Jesus said it? Are you sure he said it's, it's going to be worth it? Yes, here it is, Mark chapter 10. 29 through 31. You can write down Mark chapter 10, 29 through 31. And Jesus answered, because the disciples weren't quite sure, is it going to be worth it? And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say to you, there is no man that has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospel, but he shall receive a hundredfold in this time. And, uh, and in the life, I'm sorry, in a hundredfold in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands, here's the part people don't want to hear, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And Jesus said, here's the deal. You're going to get the family of God now, and you're going to get the eternity with heaven, in heaven that is better than Fiji and St. Thomas times a trillion. But you're going to have some rough times with it. But you're getting all of my family and all of me. And he says, it's worth it. So then you have to say either I believe that statement or I don't. Well, Forbes says it's not worth it and Jesus says it is. Which is it? Fortune magazine says not worth it. Jesus says worth it. Which one is right? We can believe Jesus, or we can believe ourselves, or we can believe the world, and we can believe anything other than Jesus, and we'll be completely wrong. Staying the course will someday reap rewards that will amaze us, and it will confirm the promises of Jesus. It will confirm the pro Do you believe the promises will someday be confirmed? 
I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if they're not going to be confirmed. Paul said if, if we are following a, a fable, we're the most foolish people on planet Earth. But we're not following a fable. We know that his promises are steadfast and true. Staying the course will reap rewards. Have any of you ever heard of the marshmallow test? Anyone ever heard of the marshmallow test? Um, it was first conducted back in 1960 uh, at Stanford University by Dr. Walter uh, Miskell. Uh, he was a uh, Jewish, German, Jewish German family immigrant, but he became a doctor of psychology. And in 1960 at Stanford, uh, he did a test on what he called delayed gratification with a group of children between the ages of three and six. And it was the same number of girls and the same number of boys. So the test, same number of girls, same number of boys, delayed gratification, and he wanted to see how this would impact their lives. And the kids, they were brought into a room. You can go read about it. You can look it up on the internet and you read about the study. It's been cited many times. The kids were brought into the room and it was nothing but a chair and a table. And on the table, they would either put whatever the kids wanted, one marshmallow, one Oreo cookie, or one pretzel rod. Remember pretzel rods when we were growing up, you know, the 60s and 70s, those were a big deal, you know. Hit them in the jar at the, at the store, you buy a nickel. So one pretzel rod, one cookie, or one marshmallow. You got to choose one of the three. And they'd put that in front of the child at the table, and they would tell them that if they waited 15 minutes, they would get a second of whatever they chose, a second marshmallow, a second cookie, or a second pretzel rod. Remember, these are three to six-year-olds. 15 minutes is like an eternity. Uh, Friday, I was at, um, at uh, one of the folks here's ch ch child's uh, Pastor Appreciation Day. And I f it is an eternity with first graders at the table. Because I was like, I don't have, I'm running out of questions for these kids, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, for, for kids waiting, and they were given this choice, that if you wait 15 minutes, you get a second marshmallow or a second cookie, second pretzel rod. Um, what they would get in this double the treat, as soon as the uh, uh, evaluator would leave the room, a small minority of the kids popped it straight in their mouth. <laughs> Done. They're not waiting 15 minutes. A small minority said only one-third held out for 15 minutes. Some of them made it to about the seven-minute mark, and they crumbled, <laughs> grabbed it, stuffed it in their mouth. So, you know. But the... But the one-third that didn't give in, this is funny, the, the kids did various things. Some turned around and wouldn't face the marshmallow. <laughs> some covered their eyes. Some pulled on their pigtails. Some kids were kicking the table, <laughs> kicking the table just to have the energy, nervous energy, get out of them so they wouldn't grab the marshmallow. Not much has changed between kids and adults, right? Don't get the L.L. Bean magazine if it's going to cause you to constantly... Don't... The worst is the Costco one that comes to me, right? Man, I didn't know they made this. What? A world? Why don't I have... This needs to be in the garage yesterday, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but what they found is years later, those that ignored the instant gratification of a simple treat, they did better in school, they did better in test scores. They did better in life, a number of life areas, marriages. They did better in um, health factors. 
because delayed gratification, because they're willing to say, I believe that if I wait, there's something better. And Jesus says to the church, if you would just listen to me, there's something better. People say, I don't believe that. I believe God's trying to take my money. God's trying to take my time. God's trying to take my fun. I'm going to spend it the way I want to. And God says, go right ahead. It'll be your your life will suffer for it. And that's what happened with the two-thirds of the kids that gave in. They followed their lives for the next 20, 30 years. They did worse in all these other areas because they would never yield to true things. It's a spiritual thing for us. And this is far more the case with those of us who choose to keep serving the Lord, who keep giving our time, keep giving our talent, keep giving our treasure uh, to God, knowing that God will multiply this in our life. That's what a life of faith is. We believe that Jesus is going to give us more than two marshmallows at the end of the 15 minutes. At the end of my life, I'll get more than just another pretzel rod. Imagine saying as a parent, this is so tiring, I'm just not going to do it for a month. I'm done. I'm staying in bed. Y'all are on your own. You know where the cereal is? Go for it, you know? I'm just done. I'm, it's too much. I didn't sign up for this. This was not in the premarital uh, counseling or whatever else, so I'm out. I'll be in the house, but I'm not here. I'm here physically, but no other way am I here, right? I'm giving up. But a lot of Christians act this way. They get all bent out of shape because they think God is God's saying, look, you're going to have to tough it out a little bit. Let the Holy Spirit be the joy of the Lord is my strength. God will help us get through. There's desert periods of everything in life. If you have to close your eyes and kick the table, do it. I don't have pigtails. So that's not going to help, but you know, whatever it takes. Self-pity gives us all kinds of excuses to give up, excuses to give in, excuses to go with the flow. But the scriptures in Jesus gives no such out clause. Jesus never took an out clause to the cross, did he? Because the real gratification for him was to see people get saved. He didn't take instant gratification and say, that's it, I'm slaying all of you and going back to heaven. He didn't do that. He says to us to persevere, and one day we'll meet him face to face, and it will be worth it, I'm telling you. When you meet Jesus face to face and he says, well done, good faith servant, you will not remember anything you ever gave up on this earth. Amen. You will not remember it. Amen. Last thing, we've got to close here, but seeking intentionally. Last verse, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We need to look to intentionally, intentionally bless, strengthen, and build others up. Find the joy, brother and sister, find the joy in your life in helping other people. How? Helping them grow in their faith, helping them become better at their jobs. Man, if you're, if you're a, a guy that's older, mentor some young person. Don't let them get into debt when you can tell them how not to. Don't let them do stupid things in their marriage when you could help them avoid it. Help them say, no, 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 you, you, you're out of balance, you're adding... Young men need mentors. Young women need mentors. Someone to tell them, hey, that sounds like a good idea, but I've tried that when I was 30. It doesn't work. They still might not believe you, but at least you tried, right? But I find that people do believe if they know you love them. Amen. If they really know you love them, I find that people really will believe a little more than you might suspect or I might suspect. 
But find the joy in helping people grow. Find the joy in helping people see their marriages transform. Find the joy in, uh, in, in watching kids that used to not want to be with the family all of a sudden want to spend time with the family again. I've seen these things happen. It's amazing. Find the joy in seeing people healed and seeing their health improve. These are good things, and we have ways that we can actually invest in people's lives. And one of the ways that people's health improves, their marriage, when they have, start to have peace in their mind. The mind is the problem of a lot of America's issues. It's outflowing in all these different ways. Find the joy in helping someone get a leg up. Some people in the body of Christ could have already helped a single mom get on her feet, but they'll still be focusing on their next toy. Why? Oh, I need 10 new things in the house. Probably we don't, right? But someone else could use a helping hand. Helping someone else get out of debt. Helping another church around the world get on their feet. These are the things that Jesus will say, you invested wisely. You did good, especially to the household of God. If you've never been discipled, you need to be discipled. We're, we're, we're going to be introducing some opportunities for people to be better discipled. It's something we need to grow as in a church, but, but we also know that people need vehicles, and we're looking at doing some of those things. So be on the lookout for some of those things in the next um, month or so. Uh, if you've never discipled someone else and say, hey, I love the Lord, I have been discipled, but I haven't discipled someone else, it's time to say, all right, I'm going to use those muscles. You know? What good is it to be spiritually muscular and never use them, to use those, to, to help someone else who's, uh, you know, if you've never discipled someone, if you've never seen someone go from barely making it, I mean, just barely holding it together, to thriving in the Lord, you don't know what you're missing. I'm going to say that one more time. If you've never invested in someone who's barely holding it together and watch them now eventually thrive, it's better than getting the bonus check. It's better than some toy that you think is going to make you happy, which only has the new car smell for a short period of time, right? But a life that just blossoms, it goes on and on and on, and it touches other people's lives. We don't know if someone in this room is the next D.L. Moody. We don't know if someone in this room is the next, you know, Amy Carmichael, David Livingston, George Mueller, but we have to invest there because God knows who is who and what, what they're capable of. But Paul said, especially bless and strengthen those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, does this mean that we're not to love the outside world? Absolutely not. But in, remember in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, the church, the more they ministered and loved one another, God added the church daily. When we become strong in the Lord, not self-absorbed, but growing constantly, we automatically will love the rest. That'll just be a natural outflow. But Paul says, you know, those who have come to uh, faith in Christ, they're now your family. I actually feel very close to people that I was never blood relatives of. Some of you in this room, uh, you know, I love you like you've been brothers and sisters for years, like you are my brother and sister. And I didn't know you even four or five years ago. Some of them I didn't even know five months ago. But God gives us that love for each other. And then we're to invest in the family of God. Yesterday when I came to the men's breakfast, I come in, Pastor Randy and, uh, and then uh, the other Randy, well, we got a lot of number of Randys, but one of the Randys, uh, the Deacon Randy and Pastor Randy, not to be confused with the other Randys, were actually in there cooking eggs. And I'm like, they're not in here cooking eggs because they're not in here cooking eggs because they don't have a kitchen at home. They have a kitchen at home. They're doing it to love on the other men. As I was coming to the men's thing, I'm driving in here, 
I wasn't coming because, man, I really want someone to hook me up today with some real serious waffles. And <laughs> even though the waffles were good, I truly in my mind was like, I'm coming to bless other guys. I'm coming to just, maybe they need to be heard how their week was. Maybe they need someone to just say, hey, what's going on in your life? You live your life for others. This is what Paul's saying to the church. Do good to those. Reach out to them. Live for other people. Any way you can, encourage other people. I'm sure a number of you, you know, have this heart, but if you don't, God wants you to start to walk in this manner. John Bunyan said, you know, John Bunyan wrote A Pilgrim's Progress. You guys know that book, right? He said this. He said, a man there was, though some didn't count him mad, the more he cast away, the more he had. A man there was, though some did count him mad, the more he cast away, the more he had. You know, he gained a lot of wisdom in prison uh, just because he was serving Jesus Christ. But those, those words ring true to us today. And I want to close with this, though. Life is way too short to spend it on ourselves. Life is way too short to miss the mission that Christ has given to pastors and you guys as a church family and me as a church family. Life is way too short to give up and be lukewarm. Life is way too short to live in our flesh and then suffer the consequences. Life is way too short because eternity is a whole lot closer than any of us think it is. Life is way too short to do anything but walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the life of the Holy Spirit. So what the Lord would ask us is to live intentionally. Live intentionally to invest our time, our abilities, our God-given resources into growing in grace and living a life that pleases Christ and strengthens others. Amen? Let's close in prayer.